welcome to the Literature and Laws podcast. I'm Judah. And I'm Daniel. We are brother-in-laws who love reading books and discussing them. We analyze the merits of books for their strengths, weaknesses, and outlook on the world. Thank you for joining us on this literary journey. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the fourth episode of Literature in Laws. Today, we are going to be talking about a book that um, is very interesting, to say the least. Uh, it's called The Gollum and the Genie by Helen Wecker. Uh, it's received um, numerous accolades um, from various other authors. It's not maybe as popular as a New York Times bestseller, but it's still fairly well known in the recent fiction fantasy genre if, if you're looking for a more popular um, more popular book. So uh, Daniel's going to go ahead and start us off with a bit of the setting behind the book, talking about um, the primary, there are two primary characters, Hava and the genie, um, or the genie goes by Ahmad later on. Um, so Hava and Ahmad, and Daniel, why don't you go ahead and start us off with uh, the, the context of the yeah. book? So this is taking place in the late 1800s to early 1900s. It starts in Poland where this man approaches this kind of crooked rabbi yeah. um, named Yehuda Shalman um, and asks him to create a golem for him that would be his wife. Now, golems are a feature of Jewish mythology that they're made of clay and they are formed and they're given a command to come alive. And when they become too dangerous or the person doesn't want them, they give them a command and they just crumple to dirt. Right. So usually they are for basically slave labor. They have big muscles. They can move anything. In Slash fact, protection whole, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but this man wants one for a wife, which is Odd. not what it's meant for, <laughs> uh, to say the least. But the um, shulman goes along with it because money is his language and makes this woman using, to make it more appealing, actual human body parts for cosmetics. Yep. Yeah. Very bad person to start with. But then... They box her up because this person is going to America. And on the way, he's feeling terrible. So he goes and gives the command to wake up the gene, the golem. Yep. She comes alive just in time for him to die. Yeah. He dies and she is without a master. She is without someone to give commands. Golems were completely obedient. But now she doesn't have anyone to be obedient to. And so at the immigration point in New York, she jumps off the boat and then ends in New York and is completely lost because she hears everyone's desires and doesn't know what to do. Yeah. And then there's this man, a rabbi, Rabbi Myers, who sees her, recognizes that she's a golem, chooses not to destroy her but instead chooses to treat, teach her how to live in the crazy world of New York in the 18, late 1800s. Yeah. So that is how Hava is set up. Uh, and because she didn't have a name, he gives her the name Hava. 
Yeah. Um, so, which you that said, is what, what does that goal. mean? Um, it means actually it means life, mm. but it is the if you pronounce Eve in Hebrew, that is her name. Yep. Yes. So um, the other primary character in this book is the genie um, who later adopts the name Ahmad. Uh, And it's important to mention that the characters of the genie and the golem, um, the golem, they don't really cross paths until pretty far into the book. Their stories stay pretty separate. But um, the genie originates uh, as most um, story portrayals of a genie take place. He shows up after a man, Arbely, in a tinsmith shop, rubs a copper. Is that right, Daniel? Yeah. Uh, rubs a copper lamp, um, and the genie pops out, um, completely naked, uh, with an iron. Uh, what's what's the word? Basically, cuff on his yeah, wrist. With an iron cuff around his wrist. Um, so. It, he is a, a genie that is existing in a bound human form. The genies, uh, historically, as mentioned in the book, um, they've lived throughout the centuries. God created two creatures, humans and genies, and they've sort of lived in this conflict uh, because both of their natures are very separate. Um, and humans have often, especially in the Middle East, is where um, the genies uh, stay and the the Bedouin people interact with them, and they'll ward them off through um, through iron because that is the genie's weakness. The genies are creatures of fire, um, and they ride on the winds. They can change form into other kinds of creatures, even human form. Um, but obviously, their own nature uh, is that of um, a sort of a sh- I don't know if I'd say a shapeless, formless being, but one that is not seen by humans. Well, like like fire, uh, it doesn't really have any specific shape because yeah. it's always changing. Yeah, fluctuates. Yeah. Um. So this genie uh, pops out of this flask, um, this this lamp, and has to discover his way in New York City. Um, he is a creature that is supposed to be totally free, like other genies, but instead he is bound. Um, and the book doesn't start out by sharing much about how that happened. All he has is a vague recollection that he um, he has been bound for a very long time, and we later discover it's over a century. Uh, and he has this recollection of uh, this evil wizard's face, but not much besides besides that. He doesn't really know what happened or how he ended up in the lamp. So he has to find his way along in this city. He starts working alongside of Arbely, who protects him, protects his secret. And that's how the story begins to develop. Uh, before we get too far into our own rating, me and Daniel, uh, Daniel and I, were going to give a quick uh, sort of parents review because it is a heavy book. So, Daniel, what would you start off with? Yeah, I would just start off with it's just a like Judah said, it's a very heavy book. It's very dark. It was also just very depressing because some of the characters just have very tragic backstories. Like when you get into them, you know some side characters it's like this person he had a great life and then all of a sudden something went wrong he lost his wife the next year he lost his daughter he came to america almost starving was left alone it's like job yeah yeah very much like job um and and it's just characters that you really like die in really kind of unfortunate ways. Yeah. Like just 
if it was real life, it'd be very unfortunate. And so it, it, it very much weighs on you as you're reading the book because it doesn't, it just kind of moves on. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's very depressing a lot of times how it just, there's death everywhere in the book. Yeah. Like I was, I was telling you, Daniel, that it's not the kind of book I'd recommend to someone if they wanted something to enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Um, not because, and like, I think that can be separate from whether or not it's a good book, just in the sense of you have to be in certain different kinds of moods to read things. Um, and if you're looking to be in an enjoyable mood, this is not going to bolster that. Well, I mean, it's like some people watch bad movies frequently yeah, because they can just turn their mind off and enjoy it, even right. though they know it's not a good movie. Right. Exactly. Good point. Uh, on the other side of things, sex is a predominant theme in the book. Primarily, the genie's character in in the in the land of the genies, sex is treated much more casually than it is in the human world. Uh, not not today's human world. Late eighteen hundreds human world, because they don't necessarily believe in the idea of uh, one partner for life, that sort of thing. Instead, uh, flings all the time are completely normal to them. And you see that in the book with the genie. Uh, and it can occasionally be, uh, it's not, it's not explicit, but it, it, it can, it can verge on descriptive, I'd say. So that's something to keep in mind. It's not like nonstop, but there are a few times it's like, oh, okay, this is a little uncomfortable. Something to keep in mind. Uh, but Daniel, Please go I ahead would and say give us your over. Yeah, go ahead. I'd say overall, maturity wise, this would probably be a fourteen up book. Yeah, something like that. But, but um, what would be your overall rating? I think my overall rating has gone down the more I've thought about this book. <laughs> um, I am probably going to end up right at around a five. Okay. Um, with one being I regret reading this book, and ten being. I am going to definitely read this again multiple yeah. times. It, it's a five. It's it's an average book. The ending is a bit cliche in my mind as I think about it more. Okay. And the plot was very convoluted throughout. And I only felt like it came into its own in the last half of it. Because the first part, it just seemed to be focusing solely on the genie and the golem and emphasizing their character development, which I think if she had focused on that throughout the rest of the book, yeah, it just would have been a much better book. But near the end, she shifted and tried to bring Shalman in as a villain. It didn't feel like it was the right end to the book. Okay. Granted, it was exciting as I was finishing it, but just as I'm looking back on it, sure. it was just kind of like... Yeah, I've there there's better right. There's been better books that I've read. Okay. Yeah, I'd say for me I'd I'd probably give it about a seven out of ten. If I'm just looking at it in terms of character development, I'd probably give it an eight. Um, just because there are a lot of very well written, very well rounded characters that. that you care about. Um and it's it's very interesting, and she's she's a very good author at writing descriptions and filling stories with lots of details. I mean, you definitely felt immersed in the city and the culture. Oh like, yeah, that's without a doubt. But I do agree with Daniel. Um, after a while, and I've been reading the second book um, that follows this called The Hidden Palace, 
and her writing style, I won't say that it's, it might not be her writing style, but just the, the kind of book that it is, it does feel constantly tense and it feels like it wears you down after a little bit for me, at least I like a book that I can enjoy. And, uh, I don't, I don't mind books that are on the more depressing side of things, but, um, after a while it just feels like a heavy load. And I do agree that the, um, the conclusion might've been a little bit, uh, less than pleasing after looking, looking back at it. So, um, so yeah, that's our ratings guys. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break and then we'll be talking about, um, spoilers, but primarily themes and the greater discussion of what the book was getting at. and character development of yeah. some characters that we loved. Yep. So we'll be right back. Welcome back. Um, Judah, why? I know we've kind of had our disagreements over this, but sure. why? Um, why did you like Shalman as a villain? Yeah. It it's an interesting question, and I feel like it's kind of weird to say that you like a villain. I mean, it's a common discussion that people talk about, like, oh, I liked I like Joker as a villain, or I like Sauron as a villain, and then you think about what they do and what they've done, and like how many people they've murdered, and it's like, oh, that's an interesting um, thought. But when when someone says that they like a villain, it's much more of a like I think they were a well developed character and they portrayed the evil side of things well um you want you want a, a villain that is not a character that you root for but that you're satisfied with how they're portrayed and then when they're finally defeated it feels all that much better sort of like to be a marvel geek real quick the reason thor 2 failed is because the villain in there was not well developed and n- no one cared when he was finally defeated that's a side tangent um <laughs> But back to this book, Shaman, um, I really liked him as a villain because I just got this sense very occasionally in books, I'll find a villain who is just utterly wicked for the scent, for the sake of being wicked. And sometimes I feel like, I mean, there, there are tons of different spectrums of villains, right? There's, I mean, there's like pickpockets, uh, <laughs> who can maybe be redeemed, but they might like they might start as a pickpocket and then later go on to other things. But then there's ones who like shaman will like literally start murdering people from birth. <laughs> um, and I like sometimes when authors don't sort of sugarcoat what evil is. And so with shaman's character, I feel like he was portrayed very well as a character that is just evil for the sake of being evil. Like his motivations were purely self, self-motivated self completely. He was a prideful, arrogant individual who uh, sought eternal life was his constant goal throughout the book. And that's why he came to America, um, spoiler, because he uh, eventually realized that um, the genie held the key to his eternal life. And I don't know. I just, I felt like his character was developed. And I, I don't want to say developed well because he stayed the same throughout but just the picture of evil for the sake of evil was really interesting. And there wasn't a time where you read, like, there was not a time where you felt any sympathy for him. Whereas for other villains, you might. I don't know. What are your thoughts, Daniel? See, I, I think when I'm going in a book, there, there's two types of villains that I kind of enjoy reading. Okay. One is the very, like, powerful villain 
that you don't really know much about. Mm-hmm. You just know that he is in charge of everything. Sure. Um, so like in some other series, um, it's, it's, it's like Sauron. the Lord. Yes. Well, Sauron is a big one where he's in an ivory tower. He's in a tower that you actually don't meet face to face, but you know so much about him because he's this big, powerful person. That looming evil presence. Just looming bad guy. And like some of the books I like, it is just the dictator who is yeah. super powerful. Sure. And they're trying to overthrow him. So you don't necessarily know a whole lot about that person. And I, I like that type of villain. Or I really like the type of villain where he's a villain because he has his priorities mixed up. Like I finished a book recently where the villain was basically a cop gone bad, mm. but he his desire was the same as when he was a cop. He wanted to clean up the streets, yeah, basically. And it meant doing horrific things throughout to get people's attention to what was going on. Sure. And so it's like, I like those sort of villains more where it's not like they're evil for the sake of evil, because I don't think that there are many people who are truly like that. Yeah. Um, I think that there are more often people who do really bad things because they think they're doing a right thing. Sure. And it's just Shalman's character just in that way didn't necessarily feel realistic. Okay. So again, I know that there are people who are very wicked, but that's not the typical, I I just, in a villain, it's not my favorite the way he was just, no, that's fair. You knew exactly what he was going to do. You never had a question of, well, Oh, well, is he going to actually change or not? Right. Yeah. That's that's a fair point. Well, he's going to, He's going to take this person hostage. Doesn't matter. He won't have a qualm about that. Uh, that he's going to do that versus sometimes when you have more characters that actually have somewhat of a moral um, battle inside them. Yeah. More dynamic, more dynamic. So that's, that's why I don't necessarily, he's not my favorite villain. No, that's, that's a fair point. There is, there's a very large spectrum of villains and it is interesting. Like, like you're saying, a lot of them are a lot of their motivations are sort of perversions of what is good. Yes, um, yes. you know. Uh, but as you think about who we believe to be the greatest villain, I guess would be Satan. Um, he is the the personification of evil. I mean, he's just antagonistic towards God. Again, what is very it? similar to what Shal- um, Shalman was in the book because. I think that, that that is where it gets interesting. Shulman, from a very young age, I think he has a dream where he's walking and he all of a sudden realizes he is never, he is in, he's enrolled to become a rabbi, very advanced, very thing. And he just walk has a dream and he realizes there's no way I'm getting into eternal life. Yeah. He feels I like know he's I'm going to be damned. <laughs> yeah. And so then he's like, screw it and then pursues evil trying to figure out how to kind of um con his way into eternal life yeah but i just i find it very interesting throughout the entire book how he all whenever he's doing his magic spells or something like that 
he always comes like face to face with the almighty and mm-hmm. he's like crap and i did like that i actually i really liked that I don't know, thinking about it, it's definitely interesting seeing how characters in books, what they look like in relation to Satan, which is kind of the personification of evil. It also got me just thinking, and this is another brief side tangent, but, um, you know, C.S. Lewis, I think, says something like, um, evil isn't a thing in and of itself. It's a lack Mm -hmm. of a thing. It's a lack of goodness, which is a great point because people... I think Christians even often think of Satan and Jesus as yin and yang, but Satan is not the opposition. Um, He is an opposition to Christ, but he's not an equal opposition. Um, Satan is a created being who is far inferior to uh, the God of the universe. So that was a side tangent. But Uh, just like how the um, shaman was when he saw the Almighty, he was like, oh, no. Yeah. I have a feeling that's what Satan thinks whenever he has something— some interaction with God, it's always, ah, what am not, I doing? Yeah, evil is not a counterbalance to holiness. It is far inferior. Uh, and one day, it will be all wiped out. Um, yes. So Daniel, let's talk next about um, what I thought was really interesting, the two primary characters of the book. It's called The Golem and the Genie. Let's talk about The Golem and the Genie. Um, the Golem is a creature who is supposed to have a master and is free. Mm-hmm. And the and genie, is also my favorite. Yeah, yeah. And the genie is also is a character who is supposed to be free, but has a master, his iron cuff. Uh, he's bound. So what do you see as the contrast between those characters and what sort of implications does it have? The thing I, I kind of jumped out at me at first is how they're both different elements. Fire, earth, water, um, and air are the four elements okay. um, that were typically used to be thought of as everything. The genie is fire and the right. golem's earth. Yeah. And they're interacting. And I just, I thought that was a very interesting take on how kind of the supernatural is in that sense. And like, just because of the whole mythologies of them. Yeah. But in addition to that, the fact of their different roles, I tend to, I think I relate more with the golem because of she recognizes what she needs to do for other people to make them happy. Mm -hmm. And that is her heart. Like that is what she is made for. Yeah. To help the one who her master, but since she doesn't have a master, it becomes everybody. And versus the genie who he has his entire life. He, um, he has helped no one. Yeah. And so now he's realizing what it's actually like to be in one place and forced to help people. Yep. And slowly he begins to understand what, what it means to actually care about someone and to help someone. And then the golem realizes that there are times when she can say no to to people, other people's desires, so that way um, she takes care of herself. Versus, so it's just like they come more toward together as the book progresses, rather than staying on their far spectrums. So, as kind of the nate, as we talk about the natures of the genie and the golem, um, I thought it was very interesting throughout the book how much it placed an emphasis on 
nature and mm-hmm. things that we're kind of just forced into because of who we are. Yeah. And there was always questioning about, is this actually, do we really have a choice in that? So what would you say, like maybe give some examples from the book of like just some of the debates that happen in the book about nature. And I'll, I'll go if you after you give some. Yeah. I mean, um, the one that comes to mind, first of all, is that uh, century, centuries back when the genie was taken um, captive uh, um, to his master at that time, which was the wizard, the um, the wizard made him kill the, the girl that was near him. Um, the genie did not voluntarily or, uh, you know, he did not of his own free will choose to do that. Um, the wizard made him do it. But the genie was the one who killed her. Uh, and then there's the other, I mean, there's other situations that happen, but there's uh, like when Hava is taken over by, uh, later we discover it's the same person. Shaman is that previous wizard, um, just reincarnated constantly throughout the centuries. But she's taken over by the wizard. Um, he is He binds her to him as her master, and she starts wailing on people and there's the question of is she responsible um, because this is technically her true nature is being bound to a master so those are two primary examples that i can think of well i think the other one we kind of already touched on was shulman when he realized i'm damned yeah. i guess i better act that way sure um i think it's it becomes much more complicated when um the characters are taken over by another person yeah and then forced to act like mind control basically right um i think morally it's very obvious the person who did the mind controlling is the one responsible but i think the the most interesting part is you know how hard it is to break the like the habits of nature Mm. like for instance hava not um giving everybody what they desire or right. trying her best to um, and learning to actually tune them out. And with the, uh, the genie, which I think is probably, he has the most interesting, in my opinion, character development in the, in the book um, because he's a genie, which means his, again, as we mentioned, character is very individualistic and he often uses that as an excuse in conversations with Hava um, to say, no, you don't understand. Like, this is the, this is the way that things are for the genies. We don't we don't care about others. We're self possessed. Like I can have as many sexual partners as I want. I can do this. Um, and the question of upbringing, uh, there's there's a lot of questions about how much the way you were brought up affects the way you are now. But in addition, whether that's a morally justifiable reason to make something okay. Um, so like you talked about, Hava has to place restrictions on herself that she can't take care of everyone and do everything for everyone. Not every passing guy that has lustful thoughts about her, she can't She can't, and she shouldn't <laughs> go and um, please that individual. And by the same token, um, morality still exists for the genie. And that doesn't mean that, that it doesn't make it okay just because his nature is wired a certain way. Um, for him to do certain things. Well, and I think it also shows throughout it how much he actually damages people around him when he does yeah. that. Yeah. Because um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, every person that he actually did that in the book yes, yes, got very damaged. Yes, they were not 
they were not well. Um, like the girl that he actually ended up killing. That was how he actually ended up being bound was because, because he got too involved and that's what, what allowed the wizard to find him. Yeah. Um, it's a result of his actions ultimately. Yeah. And he recognizes um, that at the end of the book, um, which is when his character starts changing. So, I mean, it has a lot of implications. That's sorry. Go ahead, Daniel. Well, I mean, like my favorite part of the book is when he goes back to Syria and actually buries the bodies that were left in his, um, the girl's mm-hmm. body whom he actually killed under the influence of the wizard. He buries her body and like builds a tomb over it out of glass, the remains of his palace. And um, somehow the body hadn't decomposed in a couple thousand years. Don't quite know. Bones how stick that, around. No, I don't know. Bones stick around. Yes. But he said the entire bodies were. And oh, it really? just I was like, yes. And then there were the bones of other animals in there. It's just like, hmm. Anyways. Um, but he yeah. builds that and like recognizes that it like it's a coming of peace, but he wasn't just flippant, oh, who right. cares? They got hurt. Oh, who cares? Like, they're dead. I'm gonna move on with my day. But he actually I think feels remorse for what he did then and how it ended up. Yeah. It really, it really brings to mind like the idea in, in scripture that um, the Bible says um, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And uh, here, I'm going to get to it. Daniel's giving me a confused look. You'll I'm just see, wondering where you're going with you'll this. See what I'm saying. Uh, the Bible says for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And um, the book of Isaiah says that, um, uh, None are with sin. None are without sin. No, not one. And I think what it, it it gets to in regards to implications for the book is they all have their own natures, um, but they're still morally responsible for the actions that they take, regardless of the way that they were brought up, um, regardless of the way that they are wired. Um, so even though the genie is used to doing things this way, or may have believed it's okay to do things. Um, like have as many sexual partners as he wants to treat people this way, to be uncaring about others. That doesn't make it okay. Just like because we as humans have sec, uh, have sinful natures, um, we are wired to want to sin, but that doesn't make it okay to act um, the way that our desires necessarily want us to go. So this is the big question. Are we forced to do the decisions that we make? I don't and are we responsible so. for them? I definitely believe we are responsible for them. I mean, that's what the Bible would say, uh, without a doubt. I was writing last night. I'm um, writing some thoughts on suffering and stuff in a in a book. I'm kind of working on. We'll see if it ever pans out. But I uh, wrote kind of a metaphor: is that um, every human is placed in the quote sin car, but we all choose to drive it, right? So our circumstances put us there, right? Um, After Adam sinned, we are all in this situation where we have sinful natures. But the Bible is very clear that every time we sin, it's not, it's not something we can like, you can't murder a person and be like, oh, Adam made me do it. No, you murdered the individual. Um, uh, C.S. Lewis has a wonderful metaphor regarding bullies, um, where um, you know, a bully might be picking on a kid at school. Let's say they, I don't know, they pick him up and throw him into a wall or something like that. And you find out that the, uh, the bully 
maybe he didn't have a father, he was abused as a child, um, he's on drugs, something like that. Um, and all of these circumstances made him who he is. But at the end of the day, the bully is the one responsible. Um, he's not being mind controlled. He's the one willingly choosing what he is because his nature, while a bully, is still a person with the will to do what he does. And uh, with that, guys, yeah, we've had lots of interesting discussions today, um, conversations from everything to human nature and free will and uh, sexual escapades and golems and genies and fire. No, we weren't. I, I just mean I'm talking about the, you know. <laughs> Um, the, the bad character in the book. Uh, not the bad character, just his bad choices. So you have the golem and the genie and the fire and earth and all that fun stuff. Um, really a delightful book to read, but um, caution uh, involved in that. So I'd, I'd say check it out. It's, it's worth a read. Um, uh, definitely come away with some interesting thoughts, if, if anything. So... Um, we're glad you guys joined us on this podcast. Again, it was uh, Judah and Daniel. And uh, we'll see you at the next podcast. Yeah, I look forward to seeing you next time. All right. Bye, guys.